Well, good morning. I'm David Reese, one of the elders here. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. So if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is holy and true. And Father, thank you for the care that you have for us. And thank you that that care is uh, transmitted to Christ and then to each of us, the members of, of the body, and that we can care for one another because of your care for us. Father, I pray that you would help us as we, we study your word together, that you will transform our lives to be more and more like Christ Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So as you know, we're in uh, a short sermon series, having just finished the wonderful book of 2 Corinthians. And we are getting ready to jump into the rich book of Colossians. Between books, we're taking four weeks to uh, look at our mission statement, which is Remedy Church ex exists to glorify God by fostering biblical community, joining Jesus on mission, and practicing intentional care. So we're taking one week, week each to talk about community, mission, care, and then to the glory of God. So we've already talked about community and mission, which leads us to the important topic today of care. How do you practice intentional care? In our passage today, Paul lists three practical ways for the Galatians to practice intentional care for one another. These are timeless truths and they apply to us today. So Paul tells the Galatians to practice intentional care by restoring one another, by bearing each other's burdens, and by doing good. But before we jump into the passage, I think it's important to define a couple of terms. Let's talk about justification and sanctification. So justification occurs when God forgives our sins. And he applies Christ's righteousness to us and declares us holy in his sight. Because of justification, we are positionally holy 
before God. Justification is all God's work, which is done through faith. But he even supplies the faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, Ephesians 2.8. But we're also called to actually live lives of holiness as the Spirit of God works in us. And this is called sanctification. Wayne Grudem puts it this way. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Justification is all God's work, but we are invited to cooperate with God in our sanctification. So it's important to understand when looking at a passage, whether it's referring to justification or to sanctification. The church, as you know, has been called to holiness. And we're positionally holy before God because we've been justified. And we are also to live lives of actual holiness through sanctification. So we've been given the word of God to show us how to live. We have the spirit of God living in us. And, it, and the spirit of God is empowering us to be more and more like Jesus as we're justified. Um, we are to be the ones that are living such lives that the world looks at us and has no earthly explanation but to say that, that uh, God is among us. Romans 8.13 says, we're to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Sin's a reality in my life and in your life. And you know something? We need each other. This battle for holiness is hard. Sanctification is daunting. We can't do it alone. Hebrews 3.13 talks about how we can't do this in isolation. It says, but, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin threatens to blind and harden all of us. God's appointed you to help others in the church, in the local body, to persevere in their faith. We live this life together. We're encouraging each other in sanctification in the context of loving relationships. So with that understanding of the difference between sanctification and justification, let's, let's jump into our text. So number one, we are to practice intentional care by restoring one another. Paul begins, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. How do we restore our brother or sister? We help them see their sin. We help them understand their current conditions so that they see their sin for what it is. We invite them to repent. Wait, does that mean confronting someone? Ooh, that's, that's way outside my comfort zone. Well, yes, implied in restoration is confrontation. If a brother or sister is in sin, we talk to them about it. Matthew 18 tells us how this works. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
So Jesus is saying, if your brother or sister sins against you, go to that person. You don't go tell others about it. You go to them. And it's with the aim of restoring that brother or sister. That's the pattern we're to follow. Now, if they're still unrepentant, that's when you take one or two others with you, and finally you tell it to the church, but and the whole church is involved, but always the aim is restoration. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So admonishing one another has a bit of an edge to it. Uh, but that's sometimes necessary. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's part of loving someone. If you're a medical doctor and you know someone's condition is serious and you don't tell them, we would say that's malpractice. It's, if someone is in, is in a dangerous place spiritually and we say nothing, then that's irresponsible and not loving them just by confronting them twice. And he always did it with a spirit of gentleness, but he earned the right to speak into my life because he, he had a relationship with me. And when he confronted me, I knew that he was loving me. His objective was to restore me. How he did it was important. That's why Paul says restoration is to be done in a spirit of gentleness. He also says it's to be done by you who are spiritual. So who's spiritual? Well, Paul just defined that in chapter 5. He said the spiritual are walking in the spirit, verse 16, and bearing the fruit of the spirit, verses 22 and 23. They're familiar verses, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So those who are walking in the spirit and bearing the fruit of the spirit are to restore those in the church body who have fallen into sin. The ones who are standing help those who have fallen. This time you may be restoring me, and next time I may be restoring you. When Paul says, those who are spiritual, it's not referring to a spiritual elite. It's talking about those that have more maturity and experience in the Christian life. Uh, but, but he's not talking about those in an office of the church, like elders or deacons. He's talking to what is hopefully the vast majority of those in the local church body. It should be normative that most of the church body is spiritual. There are a couple of reasons why restoration is to be done by you who are spiritual. The first reason is found in verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So restoration is to be done by those who are spiritual so that they don't fall into temptation too. Now this could be the same temptation of the person they're restoring. But if you're restoring someone, it's probably more likely that uh, the temptation is pride. To fall into pride. That's why it's important to understand that in the church, we are to mutually minister to one another in loving relationships. Our aim is to help each other sustain our faith. I know my own heart. 
I know how easily I'm tempted and how frequently I sin. I really relate to the words of uh, Robert Robinson, who's a Baptist pastor and hymnist, when he said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He wrote and composed that hymn, Come Thou Fount, at age 22. If someone is pointing out sin in my life, they're loving me with a tough love, and I really need to hear what they say in a spirit of humility. Likewise, if I'm willing to, I need to be willing to step up and talk to my brother if there's, if that brother is, is living in sin. The second reason restoration is to be done by those who are spiritual is less in the text and more in the context, namely the first five chapters of Galatians. Paul wrote to the, uh, the book of Galatians to the church in Galatia. Now, Galatia is not city. It's actually a region. There are many towns and cities in Galatia, like Lystra, Derbe, Iconium, Antioch, Ephesidia. We also read in Acts how Paul planted churches in Galatia and then went back to strengthen them. They had a marvelous beginning. Deny Christianity. They didn't deny Jesus Christ. They didn't even deny the gospel. They just said the gospel's incomplete and there's some things that you need to do in addition to that, namely circumcision and following the law of Moses. It's not unlike a lot of churches today that are adding to the gospel. To be reconciled to God, they'll say, you need Christ plus, and just fill in the blank there. Galatians 1, 6 through 8. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, who trouble you. You're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some of who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So the Greek word for accursed is anathema. It's a person or thing devoted to destruction. Paul's warning doesn't get any stronger than that. You don't mess with the gospel. By the time we get to chapter 6, these foolish Galatians, as Paul calls them, are very clear that the Christian life is about grace, not law. Paul was talking about freedom in Christ, not legalism. So when Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. He's not introducing legalism into the church. He just spent the first five chapters of Galatians utterly destroying it. Those who are spiritual will understand that confronting a brother over sin is not admonishing him because he didn't do something the way I would have done it. Those who are spiritual know God's word and restore those who have fallen into sin according to the objective truth of scripture. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Practicing intentional care for each other involves confessing our sins to each other and praying for each other. It's mutually restoring each other when we fall. It's done in the context of loving relationships. And it's always with the aim to restore my brother or sister's faith. So let's talk about application. What does this look like at Remedy? Um, it looks like building relationships of accountability. Now, if you're married, you're going to be accountable to your spouse. But in addition to that, you need to find someone else to be accountable to. Most likely, this will be someone in your community group of the same gender. Someone you can confess your sins to and be prayed for where there's mutual accountability. Few things are more humbling and more healing than when you confess your sins to one another. That's the level of trust that we want in our community groups. Do you have relationships in the body of Christ where you can be honest with each other? Where you can confess your sin? Where you can point out someone else's sin in private and do so with the purpose of restoration? And are you pursuing those kind of relationships today? Let's go on to point two. Practicing intentional care means bearing each other's burdens. Verse two, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The three things that we need to understand about bearing each other's burdens. First, it's an outflow of God's care for us. Second, it requires pursuing relationships in the body of Christ. And third, bearing each other's burdens means getting your shoulder under the burden with your brother or sister. The starting place for bearing each other's burdens is to understand God's care for us. 1 Peter 5.7 says, To cast our anxiety on him because he cares for us. John Piper put it this way, The foundation of faith-sustaining care for each other is the biblical truth that God cares for us and has put in place human means for care to be given and received. Let me read that again. I really like this quote. The foundation of faith-sustaining care for each other is the biblical truth that God cares for us and has put in place human means for care to be given and received. We can care for each other because God cares for us. 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is the overarching, all-inclusive command to care for each other in love. God intends that his care should flow through the church to each other. So when verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens, it also says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, the law of Christ is really his whole teaching, but he summarized this for it in the first and second great commission, or second, first and second commandments, sorry. Love God and love people. The law of Christ is the law of love. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The starting place for bearing each other's burdens is to understand God's care for us. We are to imitate Christ, who is the ultimate burden bearer. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself, talking about Christ, 
bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So since Christ did this for us, surely we can bear each other's burdens. Second, bearing each other's burdens requires pursuing relationship with others in the body of Christ. So how do you build relationships with people? Well, you spend time with them. You communicate with them. There's no other way. To bear each other's burdens, we have to know what those burdens are. We can't love each other effectively if we don't even know each other. So introverts, and I'm speaking to myself here, um, that means don't wait for others to come to you. Go to others and initiate those relationships. Third, bearing each other's burdens carries the idea of getting under someone's load and helping them carry it. It's putting your shoulder next to theirs and helping them carry the burden. If we restore a brother or sister, we need to help him or her by getting under the burden, under the load, so that they don't fall back into sin. At our church in Atlanta, a man came to the elders confessing his addiction to pornography. He repented of his sin and was restored, but it wasn't just left there. A number of brothers walked with him and held him accountable in various ways so that he wouldn't just fall back into old habits. Verse 3, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If you think you're too good to be bearing the load of your brother or sister, you're deceiving yourself. If you think you don't need others in the church to help you bear your load, you're deceiving yourself. We are to be about the work of one another in for years, I didn't really understand that. I didn't understand that I needed my brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. I viewed the Christian life as, well, it's between me and the Lord. I had almost no understanding of the church. I thought I could bear my own load. I was deceiving myself. Verse 4 continues, but let each and not in his neighbor. So Paul talks a lot more extensively about the testing of our works and our rewards in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. According to the grace of God given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built upon the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So here's what Paul is saying in verse 4. Bearing each other's burdens is a good work. Examine your works. Test your works. Because someday they will be tested by God and will have to stand on their own. Judge your works by the standard of God's word, not by comparing yourself to others. Verse 5, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, wait a minute, Paul. You just told us in verse 2 to bear one another's burdens, and then in verse 5 you say that each will have to bear his own load. Well, 
They're two different things. Verse 5, he's talking about the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, which is the judgment of New Testament believers. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Be clear, this is not a judgment to see if we're saved. It's not a judgment for unbelievers. It's a judgment of our works, not of our eternal destiny. Our eternal destiny is secure in Christ. Romans 14.10 says, Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. So in verse 2, we're told to help bear our brother's burden or sister's load to make it easier for them. And then in verse 5, we're told that there's a day coming when we will stand on our own as our works are judged. They'll be tested and will either be burned up or rewarded. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. Are you bearing one another's burdens? What relationships are you pursuing at Remedy? Are you investing yourself in the life of others in the church? Point three, practicing intentional care involves doing good to each other. Verse six, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So here Paul gives a really practical way to bear each other's burdens. There's a principle in scripture of giving to the local ecclesia, the local church, for the support of the paid pastor or pastors. 1 Corinthians 9, 11 and 14 says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much that we reap material things from you? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And 1 Timothy 5, 17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So there certainly is a material aspect to this sharing However, I believe that in Galatians 6.6, 6, when it says uh, to share that, uh, when it says all good things, it really means just that. It would include things broader than just material. It would include things like encouragement. So if a brother or sister has restored you and has helped you bear your burdens, then Share encouragement with them. If God's doing something wonderful in your life, verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. In science, we talk about certain laws. You know, remember from uh, science class, the law, uh, Newton's laws of motion or Newton's law of universal gravitation, also known as the law of gravity. Here, Paul refers to another law, the law of reaping and sowing. As we mutually bear one another's burdens, we're sowing seeds of loving relationship and mutual care that will come back to us in our time of need. I've seen situations in churches where people have an expectation that they'll be cared for by others in the church, and, and so they should. But some of those same people don't invest in others in the church body. So they're expecting to reap a bountiful harvest where they have never sown. Likewise, the 
uh, principle of reaping and sowing applies to our good works. So those works will be revealed for what they are at the judgment seat of Christ. They'll be revealed as wood, hay, straw, and burned up, or shown to be gold, silver, and precious stones, and rewarded. Paul told the Galatians not to be deceived. Now, they actually had been deceived by false teachers who tried to add to the gospel. You know, the, the Judaizers, remember, they said, well, you need Christ uh, plus circumcision to be saved and observance of the law of Moses to stay saved. So when Paul says to share all good things with those who teach, he's not talking about the false teachers. Um, it's not talking about those who are trying to add to the gospel. As we practice intentional care for one another, we need to understand that there's a principle called reaping and sowing. We can't change it. It's like a law. It's like the law of gravity. There are two different fields, though, that you can sow in. You can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. Verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. What do you do when you reap to the flesh? You reap corruption. Well, in, as Romans 8, 6 puts it, death. Corruption isn't just a punishment. It's the natural result of what you've sown. One commentator put it this way. Future life only expands the seed sown here. They who sow tares cannot reap wheat. They alone reap life eternal who sow to the Spirit. If you turn back one page, you'll see how Paul describes the harvest when you are sowing to the flesh in chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do you allow your eyes to see? What passes for entertainment in your home? Do you accept a continual input to your mind which he because you've been sowing to it and you're reaping what you've sown. Some of you may think, well, it's not so bad. And you know, if you compare yourself to your culture or to others, you might conclude that. But do not be deceived. The law of reaping and sowing will apply like the law of gravity. You cannot sin without consequence. We need to care for each other in this area. The beautiful thing is that we don't just avoid sowing to the flesh. We can be about the work of sowing to the spirit. And that's exactly what we're doing here today. Hebrews 10, 23 and 24 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Who of us cannot trace our own passions for radical Christian living to other Christians who have stirred us up. If you look back one page in, uh, in Galatians 5, Paul talks about what grows when we 
So did the Spirit. We read that a little earlier. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. How do we sow to the Spirit? We do it by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. The unbeliever has no capacity to sow to the Spirit. All he can do is sow to the flesh and reap corruption. But if you belong to Christ, you know, are no longer under condemnation. Christ has done for you what you could not do for yourself. You, you're justified. God's put his spirit in you so you can live the Christian life, so that you can be sanctified, so that you can sow to the spirit. Romans 8, 6 through 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Practicing intentional care for each other means that we help each other so to the spirit. So I'm going to give you two practical ways that uh, we can help each other so to the spirit. The first is by instructing one another, by speaking into each other's lives. Romans 15, 14 says, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. As you're filled with more and more knowledge about God and his ways, you begin to instruct one another. Who of us have, has ever gone beyond the need for others to instruct us? We all benefit by that. God means for us to share what we learn. In my life, as I've taken on more leadership roles, um, as a father at home, as a leader at work or in the church, I understand that I have to open my mouth. And as an introvert, that doesn't come naturally. But I can't lead others without speaking. So practicing intentional care means speaking into each other's lives. The second practical way we can help each other, so do the Spirit, is by meeting together. When you're absent, the rest of the body misses out. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. John Piper says, God ordains that all Christians be in a church fellowship where they give care for each other. In other words, God means that the care that flows from him through his son should come to the church, not only through elders and families, but also through the members of the church to each other. So God cares for us. He cares for us through Christ, through the elders, through families, but he also cares for us through each other, through the members of the, the church. We help each other so to the spirit. Now, some of you have been sowing to the spirit for a long time. And you've, you're saying, I'm getting tired of sowing. I've been investing in people's lives. I've been helping them carry their burdens. I've been doing and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. We have a way of want, wanting instant gratification. Lord, I, I prayed five minutes ago, so where's the harvest? Well, it comes in due season. 
Let us not grow weary of doing good. One pastor put it this way. Be weary in the work, but don't be weary of the work. Be weary in the work. You may be tired, but don't be weary of the work. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. A perfect example of not giving up is our Lord Jesus. He went to the cross, he shed his blood, he never gave up. Hebrews 12, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the, sh the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. So because of the law of reaping and sowing, because it's true, we shouldn't give up. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. So John Calvin says of this verse, and many of you may have seen this quote in the, uh, the biblical anthropology document. It says, furthermore, so that we don't grow weary in doing good, which otherwise would be certain to happen immediately, we must understand the next point put forward by the apostle, that love is patient and is not irritable. The Lord instructs us to do good to all people throughout the entire world, many of whom are unworthy of such good if judged by their own merit. But scripture comes to our rescue with the best of reasons for doing good to all people. It teaches us not to regard others according to their own merits, but to consider in them the image of God to which we owe both honor and love. But the image of God should be more diligent regarded by those who are of the household of faith because it has been renewed and restored in them by the Spirit of Christ. So we don't do good to people because they deserve it. We do good to them because they are image bearers of God. And furthermore, we're to proactively look for ways to do good. One Bible commentator explains that the phrase, as we have opportunity, literally says, let us have time. It's not saying do good when others come and give you an opportunity. It says, do good by looking for opportunities. Friends, we're to be looking for opportunities to restore our brother or sister. We're to look for opportunities to bear each other's burdens. We're to look for opportunities to do good. It is to all men, but especially those of the household of faith. I'd like to end with three practical applications for caring for each other. Number one, the primary way we practice intentional care for each other at Remedy is through community groups. If you're not totally immersed in one, you're missing out on a significant part of the body life of the church. Community groups are where we build 
honest, trusting relationships. The kind of relationships where if someone points out my sin in a gentle way, I know that they're loving me. And where we build relationships that allow us to bear one another's burdens because we have transparency to share what those burdens are. The kind of relationships where we do good to each other out of love. I appeal to you not to be a loner in the Christian life. God didn't make you that way. But when, when Susan and I came to Remedy, we visited all the community groups and then plunged in. In this short uh, sermon series on community, mission, care to the glory of God, there's a lot of focus in there on community groups. So consider whether the Lord is calling you to take fresh steps in this ministry of caregiving and care receiving. Number two, practice hospitality. First Peter 4.9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. What a good thing it is to practice hospitality. Barriers come down, bonds are created. It's a biblical way to care for each other. Now, through the pandemic, the way you practice hospitality may look a little different. You may have to get creative. For some, it may mean meeting outside in a socially distanced way. Others may be comfortable with having people enter their home. Some may use technology uh, to connect with others. It's going to look different for each of you. Just don't stop being hospitable. Peter didn't say, show hospitality to each other unless there's a pandemic. He said, show hospitality to each other without grumbling. Number three, forgive each other. In Colossians 3.13, we're told to be bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Loving each other involves being patient with each other's flaws, and not just flaws, but letting real offenses go. Don't store them up or brood over them. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So practicing intentional care means being involved in each other's lives. And we're going to sometimes rub each other the wrong way. We're going to get our feelings hurt. But we're also going to grow in Christ and there will be times when we actually catch a glimpse of heaven and what it'll be like there. Over time, you'll see that your love for each other is growing and you won't. As many of you know, I work at a ministry uh, that makes Bible translation possible around the world called JARS. Someone at work told me of a time when he saw that the technical solution to an IT problem wasn't working so he suggested a different approach. Um, some people at work really became highly critical of what he was suggesting. And they were, they were critical in, really in an inappropriate way. And so day after day this continued and he realized that bitterness was creeping into his heart towards them. So he decided to pray for 30 days and ask the Lord to bless them. 
was really hard at first. But at the end of the 30 days, he felt that the Lord was telling them to bless them by making an anonymous contribution to their support, because they're supportive missionaries. With his wife's blessing, he blessed them with a financial gift. He immediately felt tremendous freedom and release from resentment towards them. So I ask you to think of a brother or sister who is wrong that the Lord will bless them and see what God does in your heart. Right before the crucifixion, Christ prayed that his disciples, quote, may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me, John 17, 23. Our care and love for each other are a witness to the gospel so that the world may know Jesus. So church, let us be about the work of practicing intentional care. Let's look to be able to restore one another when we sin. Let's bear each other's burdens and let's do good to each other and look for opportunities to, to do good to each other. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word in which you instruct us, in which you show us a better way, in which you show us how to live. Thank you that you want us to have an abundant life. And Father, thank you that you have promised that um, you are sanctifying us, that um, you will not stop this good work that you have started in us until the day of Christ Jesus. So thank you, Father, that um, you are at work in us, in our own hearts, in us, uh, in us as a church. And Father, help us to love and care for one another as your word instructs. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>